We are wrapping up our playlist series with uh, the final, the last song. Thank you, Jacob, for pinch hitting on the slides. You are a wonderful human being. I really mean that. That's my president. He's lowering gas prices. Yes. Preach. Okay, so this semester we've studied 13 chronological. We've gone through the Bible. We started all the way back in Exodus at the beginning of the semester, and now we're going to end in Revelation. So we're really excited to wrap it all up. I read this verse recently, and I'm not, this is not that I'm going to do this, but in preparation for this semester, uh, this summer, I, I said to Josh and Lindsay, I said, we should write songs for this, the playlist. And I wrote to this summer. I got so embarrassed by them, no one's ever going to hear them. They're going to stay locked away in some kind of vault, and uh, will, they will die with me. So, uh, but Josh and Lindsay have heard them. Yeah, I became pretty self-conscious. But the one thing about it is that the first one I did was from the Song of Moses, and it really helped me personally. Have you ever done that where you've written a song, it's awful or whatever, and then, but you're like, you keep singing it over and over again? Like, like it made me memorize Exodus chapter 15, which I would have never done that before, you know? Um, and so I came across this, this verse in the one-year Bible that we read like last week or the week before, and it says, An evil man is ensnared in his transgression, but a righteous man sings and rejoices. So there's something about when we sing these songs in the Bible, we sing them back to God in response to what he's doing in our lives that has the power to turn us away from the things that are killing us. Amen? So we got to sing louder. we got to sing smarter. We got to sing more consistently these songs that we've been studying. And there's been a, we've gone through 13 different songs. So I hope you have them all memorized. It's going to be a test uh, sometime over uh, Christmas break. And I hope you don't fail. Just kidding. So we're going to be in Revelation chapter 15. And we're going to start with verse 1. And the amazing, the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend, the swimmer, Isaac, is going to read that for us. Sure. All right, uh, Revelations 15, verse 1. When I saw in heaven another marvelous event of great significance, seven angels were holding the seven last plagues, which would bring God's wrath to completion. Significance. We had problems with that when we were working on it. So we're, 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 we're just improving ourselves here. Well, we've all experienced like times of loss in our lives or disappointment, and we've all asked ourselves this question. Okay, you study, 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 and you don't get the result you want. You're like, so you say three were, three were, I guess it's four, I guess. You say, what's the point? What's the point? Why did I put all that time in if it's just going to end like this? Anybody ever done that before? What's the point of cleaning my room if it's going to get trash later on? What's the point of cleaning anything? It's just going to get dirty again, you know. What's the point? And so in these, what we do is we put our eyes on the wrong prize. So we're putting our eyes on all these little moments, a lot of which we can't control, instead of keeping our eyes where Jesus wants them to be. 
The purpose of Jesus' revelation to John, and so we're, we're going to give like a cliff note to the entire book of Revelation, which is really bad to do because there's a lot of things in there that are really hard to understand and explain. Um, but the purpose of Revelation was to show these marginalized seven churches in Asia Minor that history was not just haplessly bouncing toward empty meaningless. Oh, here's another day of meaningless pointlessness. doesn't really matter what I do because it's all going to end up messed up and I'm going to wreck my car and then my pet's going to die or whatever. You know, we, we get so, so down. But instead, what the Bible teaches, what Revelation teaches, is that history is headed somewhere genuinely remarkable. History is headed somewhere genuinely remarkable. And so if we think of history as a song, if we think of history as a song, God doesn't have it on continuous repeat. Okay, here's this song again. Here we go again where history just repeats itself. No, every moment of history is different than the moment before it. And God is doing a new thing. And there's this final chorus that all of history is leading up to. And man, it's going to sound good. So the culminating tune, so the last song, the first thing we're talking about is the last song is a culminating tune. The culminating tune is the imminent return of Jesus for his bride, the church. So in Revelation, what Jesus does with John is he like blows his mind. He blows our minds too because he uses these three cycles of seven. And there is no shortage of comment. There's like, you can read 100 commentaries, get 100 different explanations. That's how we know that nobody really knows exactly what Jesus was trying to communicate to John. But we do know that there's these three cycles of seven. You got the seals, the trumpets, and finally the bowls. And I've come to believe that these three different cycles of seven are pointing toward the same reality. So you've got all these like awful things. I'm going to hit you. Sorry. All these things are coming toward a conclusion. And the conclusion in every one of those cycles is that Jesus is coming again and he's going to dig up all the evil, all the injustice, all the things that don't work out, all the pointlessness, and he's going to put it into it. And I can't wait. Jesus could come back tonight. And I would be very excited about that. Some of you would too. Some of you have to take finals. It would be really good timing for you. So what he's going to do, he's going to expose all the evil And he's going to deal it a final knockout punch, sending it reeling into hell itself. And so one word that can be so toxic for us as Christians is the term pointless. And I know we talk in sarcasm because we don't know how to talk like seriously. A lot of us don't. So we use sarcasm because we we get awkward. We feel like, oh, I can't talk about anything serious. I got to say something funny. I'm not funny. I'm going to say something somebody else said that's funny, you know. And we get get messed up and, and, and confused. And so what, what the word is, is pointless. Everything God is doing, though, in this world is pumped full of purpose and not pointlessness because history is headed somewhere. It's not headed into nothingness and ran, random. It is headed toward Jesus' return. And so Isaac's going to share his story about his brother here tonight. Hey, if you didn't hear, Andrew, my name's Isaac. Um, I'm a freshman, but uh, so a lot of people ask me who my hero is. And, you know, a lot of people say someone older, grandparents, uh, parents, someone they look up to. Um, well, my little brother is actually someone I look down to. <laughs> he's shorter than me. Uh, I'm going to hold that over top of his head. He's in seventh grade. He's 5'10 right now, so he's a big boy. 
But um, so he's my hero uh, through and through. This kid has been through trauma after trauma. Um, about five years ago, my little brother collapsed in front of me. He came in screaming um, that his head was hurting. He threw up and he passed out in front of me. And at first I was sitting there and I was just laughing because I thought he was being a baby. Like first headache, he's fine. Uh, but then he didn't wake up for three weeks. He uh, collapsed, he was in a coma for three weeks and then turned into a month. Uh, after that he had three brain surgeries. Um, he had this thing called a brain aneurysm. It's when a blood vessel in your brain explodes, puts so much pressure on your temple that you collapse, you can't see anything. He is now blind in his peripheral vision on his left eye and he can't see. Uh, so four months later, he finally arises out of his coma. And the first thing he says is, uh, he asked for me and my brother. We are two hours away at school, but he said, the only people I want to see right now are my brothers. And so with tubes in his head going down his neck, keeping him alive, I went to go see him. And it was the happiest I've ever felt that my little brother was alive. My little brother had a 20% chance to live. And to see him open his eyes and smile at me was the single best thing that I've ever seen in my life. And there's nothing that's going to change that. My little brother's my hero. He's in seventh grade right now. He's 5'10". He's a state wrestler. He's just extraordinary. And I wouldn't trade this experience for anything. Now, his story is miraculous beyond anything. And God helped us and put that in my life. But as we were leaving, there's another kid from my small town, and he was going in. He had the same exact thing that my little brother had. And sadly, he passed away. They couldn't save him or the bleeding in his brain, but we always remember him and know what happened and that terrible things do happen, but God's always on your side on your path and gives you these stories that you can share with everybody. Thanks. Yeah. Let's go. Jacob, let's throw a picture up. This is his brother. He's got a little more curl in his hair than you do. And I, th I love that story because sometimes we can come out of a miraculous moment like that and everything is set right. And we're like, almost get like a taste of what heaven is going to be like. That's kind of what your family experienced. But then you got that other family that's coming right behind their family where it doesn't work out. And I think this is what happens in our life. We think, oh, if I can just make it through physics too, Logan, if I can just make it through physics too, my life will be fine. I will make it through physics too, and then everything will be set right. Or I will make it through whatever class, whatever I'm going to graduate, I'm going to get, I'm going to get married, I'm, we're going to have our first baby, like Alex and Sarah, and it's all going to be set right, and then we get there, and we're like, it's not set right. It's not how it's supposed to be. There's still pain, there's still families coming in behind us, 
that are experiencing unimaginable heartache and sorrow. And so it shows us that history, in all these moments that we're experiencing right now, this is just the lead up of the culminating tune of Jesus' return. Our eyes should not be on these moments that we think are going to bring us satisfaction. Our eyes should be on Jesus' return. Because only then will life really make sense in what God is doing. We don't know what God is doing overall, right? But we do need him to sustain us through the difficult times. And I, I think Isaac's testimony is just amazing. So Emily's going to read uh, verse 2 of our passage tonight. Okay, so verse 2 says, I saw before me what seemed to be a glass sea mixed with fire, and on it stood all the people who had been victorious over the beast and his statue and the number representing his name. They were all holding harps that God had given them. So if you're wondering whether or not you're going to be able to play guitar someday, your day is coming. God is going to hand you a harp, and whether you're Tory or, I don't know, uh, Lindsay, Lindsay already plays guitar, you know, you're going to be able to play. You're going to be able to solo. You know, you never know. On a harp, I guess. Okay. But the last song is, first of all, it's a culminating tune, and the last song recognizes the fraudulent. And so we were going to throw up these uh, pictures of two fraudulent items. Um, first is Dr. Thunder. Has anybody ever tried Dr. Thunder? It's Walmart's version of Dr. Pepper, and it is disgusting. It tastes, uh, does anybody like it? Oh, Zach says it's good. Oh, Scott. Oh, okay. All right. We should have done a taste test. I, I do not like it. It, it tastes gross. Um, these knockoff Doritos from Aldi taste like gravel, cheese gravel in your mouth. You bite into it, and it separates into a million little gra- like sand in your mouth. Um, anyway, anything fraudulent is just gross. Anything that's not what it's supposed to be is disgusting, in my opinion. And you can disagree with me all day long. But I think we all desire, deep down, we want what is real and we want what is authentic. And these first century Christians in Asia Minor that, that John is writing this revelation from Jesus down for were on the brink of inexistence. They, they weren't sitting with flush church budgets wondering, how are we going to spend all this money? They were like on the edge of inexistence within the Roman Empire. They had no influence. They were literally on the narrow road. And some of them literally about to die because of their, their insistence on following Jesus. And so there's a reason over and over and over and over again in the Bible that martyrs are given special attention, especially in Revelation. The suffering Christian was just the norm. And I think... Uh, one of the things to f- the best way to fight something that's fake is to be absolutely 100% real. Okay? And I think in our world today, and we're, we're talking about in this instance the Antichrist and the beast, and we don't have time to go into all that. If you want to figure it out later, uh, Isaac will explain all that stuff to you afterward. Um, but John, he gives us these, this, uh, all of this imagery. Uh, for the seven churches, and he takes them back to the Exodus account to show them what's going on. Here's what he does. He takes them, he says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you, I'm going to put you into the Exodus story so you can experience the crossing of the Red Sea and what it was like to get on the other side of the Red Sea to have victory. I'm going to show you what that looks like. 
So in order to teach them about what's going to happen in the future, he takes them to the past, which I think is just brilliant, honestly. And so when John sees this, he sees like the sea of glass mixed with fire. And the sea was a place that they hated. They weren't going on cruises in the sea like we are today. They hated the sea. They believe this. A lot of people believe that if you died in the sea, you would never actually rest. Your soul would just continue to wander. And they were just afraid of the sea. And then you put fire into it, it becomes even more tragic and more like, like terrifying, uh, even to us. I'm thinking about the sea being on fire. I'm thinking, I don't like that. And then we've got the beast, the image, the 666. The immediate application for these Christians was Rome. And uh, we have our own Antichrist today. And yet they held, they were given harps. In all this chaos, in all this madness, these three cycles of seven, and all these things going on, the world is a disaster. Might as well throw it on the trash heap. Everything's out of control. There's no use in voting, you know, or whatever we say to ourselves. All these, 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 we go back to that pointless language over and over again, and then God gives us a harp. And he says, you know what, Brooklyn? You're going to play the harp, and it's time to turn that thing up. It's time to sing. It's time to rejoice because we're standing on the shore of the Red Sea singing this song of victory. And I, I love this, this quote by William Barclay. It says this, The real victory is not to live in safety, to evade trouble, cautiously and prudently to preserve life, which is really what a lot of the American dream is about. But that's not, it's just not, the, the biblical way that we're shown of what victory looks like. Instead, the real victory is to face the worst that evil can do, these three cycles of seven, and if it need be, to be faithful unto death. So what we're doing tonight, I want us just to picture what that looks like of a standing on the, on the, the shore with the Israelites, 1.5 million of them, as they watch the waters collapse and they think, I just survived. God just delivered me from evil. I, some of you have heard this from me recently, but I'm getting like stuck on praying the Lord's Prayer like when I, before I even get out of bed, I, I guess partly because I'm stressed. And I, I don't know what to do with my stress, so I just pray the Lord's Prayer until it goes away. Anybody ever do that? But that's one of the things, you know, talking about temptation and getting uh, get me away from evil. <laughs> um, and God's going to bring us all the way through it. So the last song recognizes the fraudulent. So Isaac is going to finish up our scripture with verses 3 and 4. And they were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you? Lord, and glor glorify your name, for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous deeds have been revealed. Okay, to illustrate this passage and what these two verses mean, I have to show you this clip. I'm sorry if you're a Kentucky fan. Go ahead. But you saw what happened the last time he had it. He hasn't and with the Hoosiers deal. music in the background, it's especially down, special. Kentucky's only going to put Lamb at the free throw line. Kentucky versus IU 11 years ago. Back out, back in. 19 for him. Here comes 
Tom Crean. Can't believe it. Okay. All right. Go to the next slide. So the last song, it sees and responds. You see it there, the shot was up. If Christian Watford misses that shot, it's like, oh. You know, but Kentucky did go on to win the national championship that year, so unfortunately that didn't work out for all Hoosier fans. Um, but it seems to me that often we, what we do is we overcomplicate worship, and we make it into some kind of sensational activity that requires sound equipment, lights, trinity musicians, fog machines, and you can't have windows in the worship center because that just kills the vibe. Um, anyway, uh, I'm from a, you can tell I'm from a small church in Oklahoma. I'm very biased. But throughout the Bible, we see none of these things. Isn't that interesting? I mean, pre-industrial revolution, we did, they didn't have the means to do any of these things. A lot of the churches couldn't afford instruments because they were so expensive, especially if they were on the frontier. Um, and so they, they would just sing with their voices. Um, but we see God here declaring himself as completely unlike anyone else. Pe- people witnessing him, and then those people explode into passionate songs of praise. Isn't that cool? I mean, it's like they see it in verse 3, and it's like, woo! We see it, and then we praise. We see it, and we respond. We see it, we respond. That's what worship is. We break it all the way down. And one of the words that's used over and over again to describe worship in the Bible is the word serve. And so when Emily and Isaac and I were talking, we met twice, and, and uh, this was just obvious that this was what Emily should share tonight, so she's going to share her story. My name is Emily. Um, I'm a sophomore here. Um, so I have been serving in the church since I was in middle school. Um, I started working in the kids' ministry with little kids, and then I met someone who was on the production team, and um, I started to get to know her, and she was like a mentor to me, and I was like, hey, I want to do this. Um, at first, I kind of did it just because I was like, whoa, these lights are really cool. Like, I want to do it th- just because of this. And I didn't really start serving um, in production because I wanted to, like, show God. I just wanted to do it because it was fun, and it looked fun, and all of that. Um, one of the biggest things that I heard growing up in church from the congregation was that um, it looks like a light show. So I went. I go to a church that has thousands of people um, every week, whether it's online or in person. Um, and you hear all the time, oh, like these lights are crazy, like they're a distraction. And that's, after I started serving, that's not really why I wanted to serve. I wasn't serving because it was a light show. I wanted to serve because that's what I wanted. Like I wanted to introduce people to God through what I was doing and through serving. So a little side story, my senior year of high school, um, I was in a small group and I had two leaders. Um, Through Thanksgiving break, um, they were still there. Through Christmas break, they were still kind of there. My senior year, I lost both of my grandpas. Um, They died six days apart. Um, It was very hard on our families. My life group leaders were there to support me. And then after Christmas break, Um, they pretty much disappeared. They were either working or they had family things going on and they pretty much just stopped coming to service. And so I was still serving. Um, I was one of only one or two people that actually came in my senior class. Um, 
I came to service. And it was really hard because I didn't have that life group leader to kind of support me um, and talk to me. And so I went to my mentor, Jess, who was, um, she's like the production manager. So she is like the lead of the production booth. And she was one person that I really like um, got to know and like we're still super close and we talk about everything together. Um, so pretty much serving on the production team um, has been one of the main reasons why I have grown in my faith recently. Um, I have had some ups and downs um, and serving on the worship team and the production team. Um, I've made a lot of friendships through that um, and I've encouraged a lot of people to um, grow in their faith. Um, right now we have like a post-grad small group is what it's called and it's a bunch of high school graduates that have served on the worship or production team. And we, to get, we get together every Sunday night on Zoom because um, we're all over, some are at Purdue, some are at Ball State, um, someone's up in Chicago. Um, and we all just are able to get together and have this life group and be able to bond and share the love of Christ with each other when we're miles and miles apart. Um, so serving on the production team just brings me a lot of joy and fulfillment. Um, and I'm able to meet with these friends and just share the love of Christ and um, open up about my struggles. And um, that's pretty much how I share Jesus through other people. We got a great picture of her on the, this is her behind the ones and the twos. Look at, look at that, that slide up there. I, I think I would mess that up. I do a pretty bad job with the pro presenter here. I can't imagine what I would do there. Yeah. The light, that's just the light control? Holy moly. Um, so I, more about Emily's story here in a second and how, how the, that perfectly ties in is that we have the privilege of seeing more verified activity than any other people in human history of God's movement. And so, since we see so much, we should be the, the most worshiping people of all time. We should not be the most complainy people of all time. But I'm sorry, to, I'm kind of complainy. How about you guys? That's not a word. Jacob, that's not a word, is it? That, that'd get kicked out of the campus citizen. Yeah. So, but we should be responding in praise like no other people on earth. And this song that we're studying tonight in Revelation, the last song in the Bible, as Alex Hennecutt put it in the life group material, it's not a verbatim quotation of Exodus 15. So if you took this song and you put it up, to, I, I did that. I was like, wait, that's not the same song. Why, why, is, why is Jesus revealing this to John as this is the song of Moses? And why are these harp players that suddenly know how to play harp are singing and playing this song? What this song is, it's a summarization and thematic representation of what the Israelites sang on the shore. Again, we are standing on the shore. It's not so much about the content of the song that matters. It's the deliverance from evil that matters. That someday, everything that's wrong in your life and in our world will be made right. But Jesus is going to have to dig it all up and expose all of it before he returns and sets all things right. And so in the meantime, we've got to be like Emily. She really convicted me because I used to be a minister in a local church for 10 years, the same church, leading worship every Sunday. And then all of a sudden, I'm like the guy out in the audience. Oh, what do I do? I, I felt like a spectator. And when she was sharing her story, I thought, man, Andrew, you have got to stop just spectating. 
Even if I'm working parking in the parking lot, I got to get out there and I got to start serving and worshiping in a way that honors Jesus, even if it's not up on stage like I used to. From spectators to participators. So verse 3 is God's activity proves he is above every human power. All the frauds, all the pain, everything going on, he is above it. And verse 4 is that he declares that every knee is going to bow and every tongue will confess, Philippians 2. So the decision we have to make tonight, will we decide to sing and bow now or are we going to have to be forced to sing and bow later? We don't want to have to be forced. That's, that's the sea fire situation. We don't want the sea fire. We want to be in the, the presence, the loving arms of Jesus because we put our faith and our trust in him. So just to wrap it up, history is proceeding with purpose and not pointlessness. I think So you can look to the future in the f- a final that you've got coming up or a tough conversation that you know you need to have. We all have those. You know, you have like a tough conversation, you think you're done with tough conversations, and here comes the next one. Okay. It's just part of life. So you can proceed with purpose and not pointlessness. The second, beware of the frauds. Many will come masquerading as saviors. They are fakes. The more real you become the more obvious a fake will become. I think the more fraudulent we are, the less we can really recognize a fake. And the second thing is to see and respond. Don't just sit there. Don't just sit there. Get up, grab your harp, and let's get praising. Get ahead of the end of time and sing into the Lord a new and authentic song, even if you don't want to sing it in front of other people like me. Even if you get too bashful, you sing to the Lord a new song. Even if you don't feel like it today, you sing to the Lord a new song. Even if you're hurting, you sing to the Lord a new song. Maybe you need to go back to all these 13 songs we've gone through and keep singing that new song. So I really believe that if we started living out Revelation 15, 1 through 4, we would keep our head up. Um, let's stand up for a second. We're going to pray. But When I was in college, I played college basketball 20 years ago. Once upon a time, yes. And um, in our town where we had this, uh, uh, there was a, a Division I coll- a junior college team in town. I played for a Christian college. We were awful. And uh, the guy on their team, he started wandering around our college, and he said, hey, let's play one-on-one. And he is a very tall, about an inch taller than me, um, African-American man, and he was way better than me. Let's just be honest. He just destroyed me. And so we would, we would play one-on-one, and he would dunk on me, and then I would see his shorts swinging right in front of me. And then I would get, I'd get mad. And then he'd come to my games when he didn't have a game, and he'd say, Andrew, come here. Why did you drop your head when you missed that shot? And I said, because I, I missed the shot. you got to keep your head up. The next shot is coming. And I think we've got to have that same mentality. We drop our heads. We let our circumstances just make us feel awful. Everything's going horrible. Nothing's going to go right. I can't make it through this. That's a lie from hell. Okay? You got to keep your head up. Jesus is bigger than all of that, right? So let, let's, let's, uh, let's grab a shoulder of the person next to us and let's, let's pray. Um, I want you to speak out your final tonight. What's uh, one final that's, uh, uh, that you're struggling with on the count of three? Let's hear it. Just say it out loud. It's okay. One, two, three. Oh. Oh.
Somebody said that was some pain. <laughs> Somebody said that was some pain. He's definitely low. Let's just say, no, he's good, doing well in physics, too. You good? Yeah. All right. Hey, let's pray for these finals. God cares about your finals. He wants you to do well in them. He cares about your life. He cares about your relationships. He cares about your soul. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for this passage that we can sing and praise. We can stand on the shore with those ancient Israelites and sing the song of Moses, to sing the song of victory in the midst of a broken and fallen world. So we want to say, just like in the end of Revelation, where, where John says, come, amen, come, Lord Jesus. God, we want you to send Jesus tonight. We want you to send him soon. But until you send your son to make every wrong right, we're going to do our best to love and to follow you with every single ounce of energy that we have. Please protect these students as they take their finals. Please protect them at work as they're trying to be bright lights for you in tough environments. Father, we need you, no doubt. It's in Jesus' name all God's people said. Amen. Amen.